is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. This is part two of the conversation with Seymour Helliger from Grace Community Church in Long Beach, California, Matt and myself. So thanks for coming back. And here is part two of that conversation. And I refuse to capitulate to this color-coded scheme that is rooted in Darwinism and I think is of the, the, the evil one. Okay. So now, yes, sir. Can you drive that a little bit further? Because that was one of the areas I wanted you to talk on was the reality of race being rooted in Darwinism. It means more coming from you than it does for me. (laughs) I can say it and I'm immediately called a racist, but you can say it. You have you you have more authority than I have because you have more melanin. Matt, there's no such thing as melanated truth. Man, come on now. It's it's the truth. That's what it is. It's the truth. I, I know well, that you, but... you just you just struck the organ up in that one. Buddy. That, <laughs> that, that requires a, a real B three right there. Catch. <laughs> catch. Well, you know, that's true, brother. There isn't, but I, I get Matt's point. Yeah, uh, it's it's sad that that um, we have actually color coded the truth. Yep, mm-hmm. the, the credibility is not in the authenticity of the scriptures inspired by the Word of God, and it shows that that that's actually where the seeds of prejudice and partiality comes from. Yep. But Matt, you can't let me forget the thing I was going to because I'm about to forget what I was going to say after this. Go for it. You going to help me remember? Yep. Okay. What was so it? So now, do you know what it was? That? Where he was going, and then you kind of we we got to remember our our trail. So can you help All us? Right. The, can the West Virginia help us remember the trail that we I, were on? I think I can. <laughs> All right. I think I can. I appreciate that. Okay. Yeah. So. When you look at when you look at the color coded scheme, um, it's not it's not validated theologically or scientifically, yeah. right? You go back to Genesis uh, chapter one, uh, God says in verses twenty six to twenty eight, "Let us make man." So you have man, and you have two structures of man. You 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 have the male and you have the female. The male and the female, they're man, male, female, created in the image of God. That's that's humanity. That's the beginning of humanity. The issue is that when we go past it and talk about races and various races, we're getting into a part where either we believe that there were pre-existing people groups prior to Adam or with Adam and Eve, and that God selected them out of those races to represent the human race. And so you had various races, and then you had Adam and Eve. But you also do a disservice, and you, you enable humanity to continue to multiply races and also classes of people, not only in color, but also gender. So if you have a man-made structure that's not rooted in theology, why can't someone have an LGBTQ plus category? Absolutely. I would say that the thought of, of, of racism and, and, and color categories, even we know it's rooted in, in atheistic uh, beliefs. So it's a denial of, of God creating things ex nihilo. That if, if we were to say, well, that that's abhorrent, we, we can't think of that, but we can use a color-coded scheme now, knowing that truth is there. Well, LGBTQ++ is, is also a human device category that is based on evolution. Yep. It, it is saying that God did not clearly create a society of male and female. Now, you, they're, not, they're not as separate as we would like to think they are. I know people are offended when I say that. But I try to look at things from a theological point of view. And I may have had a different position before, but as I studied Genesis a few years ago to preach it, it became clear to me that those categories are inimical to the gospel. They're also inimical to what God said in the beginning. Because in Genesis 1 and 2, you have creation ordinances for commands. In other words, these are mainstays for society. 
for the procreation, for the preservation, for the sanctification, for the sustaining of society. That you have those chapters are there to show us what God intended from the beginning. And the only time we started adopting uh, different views of, of uh, humanity was after the fall. So if these are all fallen uh, categories and they're depraved categories, the Christian has to think as to why they're using them. And why can't we describe people in ways that are consistent with their ethnicity um, or where they live? Like you yep. just told Matt, you need his West Virginian to kick in. Well, we know Matt's from West Virginia. He, he, he's not ashamed to say that, right? I, I am uh, from Nevis, uh, the Caribbean islands. And so I, I am American, but I'm also Caribbean. I have a Caribbean um, citizenship there. There are ways to describe us in, in an ethnoplastic way or a geographical way or a nationality that is consistent with culture that is, that is, I think, biblical without adopting a category that says God doesn't exist. Uh, it is incumbent upon the Christian to communicate in ways that are consistent theologically. Um, now, some will say, well, if you do that, you can't relate to the world. It's not the Christian's job to relate to the world. Amen. It is not our job. It's, it's, it's the world's job to relate to us. Yeah, so it's our, it's our job to confront the world. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the, standard, the standard of communication is God himself. Yeah. He is the chief communicator. He's chosen to communicate to man, and he's the one who scattered us using various languages. That's what I, so I, I, I haven't even, I haven't even, uh, I've refrained as much as I can to, and yet still be clear from even using the word racism. Because I don't like the word racism because I, the word is built upon an, a, a Darwinistic uh, evaluation of man. The whole, the whole word is. Now I get it, right? Society, it's hard to even talk about this without using the term. But I have been driving, like in my preaching, it's discrimination, it's partiality, it's injustice. Those are biblical terms that take the volatility of the word. It's a word, a term of art that people use just to take, uh, to bring leverage into the conversation. But yeah, I mean, yeah. that whole idea of race is not even helpful. I mean, it's helpful because everybody uses it, but it's not helpful because when you're using it, you're, you're, you're already on a platform of error. Exactly. Yeah, brother, you, you hit it on the head. You, you have to think about the issue of racism to it and Darwinism, its Darwinistic roots, but also how it fits into the Marxist agenda yes. also. Yep, to create it tends to, Yes, it tends to develop classes that do yep. not exist biblically, and you can never address the problem theologically. Yep. So if you, if you have a, a class of people, a category of people, and then you enter Marxist uh, ideologies into it, what you're doing is you're, you're addressing structures and classes, but never really addressing the heart. Nope. And, and that's, that's the essence of Christianity. It's to do with the heart. Man looks at the outside, God looks at the heart. Man looks at structures, God looks at people's heart condition. And our gospel focuses on that. These agendas and these movements do not because they want to focus on problems absent of God and the gospel. Yep. So when we're introducing those things to our pulpit, it says we take a stand against racism. We're saying, we're taking a stand against something that is not theologically verifiable, biblically yep. quantifiable, or Christ and gospel-driven justifiable. That's In essence, it. we have no solution from the right word of God, but we certainly can make a claim on it. We're telling the world and we're telling our local churches that we don't have an answer for that. Now, once again, going back to the relatability to the world, our job is not to relate to the world. Once again, First Corinthians chapter 2, the things that, that are understood by us are spirits to discern. The world cannot understand those things because it requires the Spirit of God for them to do so. So 
we're not here to speak in terms to relate to the world. One thing and one thing only we're called to appeal to the world to be clear on is to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And preaching the gospel, the spirit of God does his work to give light and light. Now, God brings us to salvation. Let's just say we've been talking all this rhetoric about race and all those things. God saves that person. And they're trying to find it in their concordance. They bought a lexicon. They, they, they bought commentary. <laughs> they got all the MacArthur commentaries. They got Genesis and Revelation commentaries from all of the, the, the classic and, and Nidots and Nidot commentaries. And they can't find racism. I said, well, I, I thought you were preaching against racism. And, and it's actually, I had to go to Darwin's book to find it. Yeah, exactly. I had to go to Darwin's book to find out that it was actually Darwin's book is rooted in in partiality and hatred for a lesser category that he made up. Exactly. I had to find this in in his book, but not in the book, the Word of God. I don't think that's a good selling point for preaching. No. So once again, the, what we have to be clear with, brothers, we must be clear with the gospel. If the word, if the world cannot understand our theological terms, we were never called to relate to them on that level. So before I, I, I know the trail you were on because being from West Virginia and a good hunter, I, I trust me, I can get us back there. So you sniffed I, it out, huh? I've sniffed it out. I got it, man. I've, I've got a bead on that. But before, before we, before I take you back to that trail, which was a good one, um, I want to, I want, I want you to speak to just a little bit about how the modern church, contemporary church, whatever that is, the, I'm using that in unbiblical church, right? <laughs> the the seeker church, the whatever, social justice warriors, the whole deal, whatever category, class, term you want to use. How how did Marxism infiltrate the church? And and I think this will be helpful for some of our listeners to kind of think because I think I know for a fact, right? I know for a fact like at our church, we've had visitors over the last four weeks, we've had visitors. We, we, we're meeting at a pavilion. We're not even in our building. And we've got people coming. We we're not even advertising. I don't even know how some of these people are finding us. But they're leaving churches. We're seeing this happen. And they're, they're overwhelmed because they're hearing all this Marxist doctrine. They, they don't know that's what it is. But they're, they're, they're wising up enough to know that they're not guilty because they're white. They're guilty because their heart is evil, but they're not guilty because the color of their skin. And even though pastors are telling them that I want you to, but they're waking up and going, how did we get here? Like some of, some of the people are looking, even I've had people ask me, I've been at this church for so many years. I can't believe this is happening. And I think it's not a shock to us, but I think it'd be good for some people to hear the steps and how we've ended up in this place in the modern church. You know, we're going to have to go back a ways, right? We probably yeah. have to go back around uh, Spurgeon's time a bit before then. Who he had um, his own downgrade controversy that he dealt with, yeah. right? I mean, we're we're in the same thing that Spurgeon dealt with in a different, just a different in way. A different, yeah, exactly. And it um, it it's rooted really in, in Germany and the higher critics. Um, a root of that is in the Enlightenment, and and all of a sudden the historicity of the Scripture and its reliability is brought into question in the pulpits. So I, 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 and this is why I asked you, because I, I know you well enough to know that's where you were going to go. And so it was, you've already encouraged my heart on like 12 levels already in this conversation. But yeah, that going back to the enlightenment is huge because the same exact thing that happened in the enlightenment where God's authority was pushed aside and man's authority was brought in. That I think is one of the most 
pivotal turning points in history, in modern history, right? If we're going to call, you know, uh, the Enlightenment, which would be the beginning of modernity on so many levels by way of the scientific explosion and telescopes and, and uh, all of that. And yet through the blessing of science, which empirical evidence and all of that and the Enlightenment that came, what, what was a disaster was they got rid of the scriptures. They essentially said, we're, you know, God, maybe God doesn't even exist. Maybe he's really not the one in charge. And man is because now we can see the outer space. Now we can understand ourselves. And that reality, well, we're, that's exactly what we're watching today. It's like it's, it's all over again. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but. No, brother, I appreciate that. As you said, it's, it's so true. It comes in cycles, right? Uh, I think whenever we begin with man, humanities, we'll typically end up where we are right now. Um, it, it was a de-emphasis on theology yep. and God and the authority of God over his own creation to more of a humanities effort, humanity. So it became anthropological. Yes. So it's centered on humanity and not God. Now you can say, okay, well, churches were still centered on God, but the emphasis emphasized more on man than they did before. That's still a problem. Uh, because if the chief goal of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, as the Westminster Catechism says, it's the full enjoyment of God. And, you know, our role in, in creation is in the providence of God, but it's not to be celebrated. But you had you have this you had the celebration of knowledge. Uh, you had the idolatry of knowledge, the idolatry of, of progress, of, of the printing press. And humanity advanced, but the only way for humanity to advance and not give God glory is to discredit the scriptures. Mm-hmm is to discredit the infallibility of the word of God, is to discredit the inspiration of the word of God. You have to first dismantle, disarm that truth in order to progress as a people. And so to, to bring man up to a place where many of these philosophies, philosophers wanted to do, it was to attack the veracity of scripture, its accuracy, its historicity, its reliability, its truthfulness, but also the, the immutability of God. Yes, sir. Now, I just want to make this quick question, uh, to take this quick question. You're not talking about now. You're talking about the Enlightenment period. Yeah. But yes, it I'm sounds about... like now. Exactly. Yeah. What we're saying is the same thing, brother. Wow. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. What happened we've, then is happening. We've been here before. That's my point. We've that is crazy. It, it's Nothing beyond the sun. Because I, I, I just, I'm just sitting here. Of course, I gotta Google everything that y'all are talking about. Uh, I googled Age of Enlightenment and the period it says between 1715 and 1789, and this yep. happened in Europe. So I'm like, yep. if he's explaining what happened 3,000 years ago, is it 3,000, 300, Three, 300, 300 years ago? How is it that this sounds so like, like it sounds like this is what's happening now? That's crazy. That's crazy to me. It is, brother. It is. And it happens anytime there's a departure from the authority of the word of God and true biblical preaching. Yep. I'm not talking about biblical exploration. Yeah. My point is biblical exposition. Amen. Whenever you are missing out on the sequential, faithful preaching, the hard topics, the offensive topics, the people leaving the church topics, the people who won't give any more kind of topics. Mm Mm-hmm. When you preach the hard truth, the wow. hard hearts, God softens hard hearts and keeps other hearts hard hearts hardened in their sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, there's a three-letter word. Whenever you depart from, what's that? There's a three-letter word for that. It's called preaching on sin. Oh. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. really what it is. 
when when you address humanity's core, core issue and you preach systematically, and then you preach confidently because you believe it is true, um, I think after the enlightenment, pastors begin to allow critics and skeptics to question the word of God and question its accuracy or is the Bible relevant enough for us today? Do we need more? Do we need to do more than just preach the gospel? Should we stand up every Sunday, something happens, someone gets shot and says someone got shot and spend a whole hour wearing a sweat coat in honor of the person who died because they got shot. Mm. These are the ideals of the world. It didn't begin in the Enlightenment. It began in Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say it? And does God mean what he said? So when you begin to question the authority of God as a serpent did, and, and uh, Eve and um, you know, Adam took it holistically, that's what you happen. So that's what happens. And we're finding that to be the issue today, brothers, is what happened and began in those times, continue to grow. Karl Marx adopted that philosophy of the Enlightenment and just added his his own into the world of economics. Yep. And now that ideal in the Enlightenment is being added into the world of the intellect. And in each of these spheres, you have a, 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 a dismantling, as it were, in our minds, because it can happen for real, a dismantling in our minds of the need for God and the Word of God. And then that enters the pulpit. Did the same thing years ago, it's doing the same thing again. It did it during the downgrade with Osir Spurgeon. Yep. That whenever you have a you have subpar preaching and questioning of the word of God or the necessity of just preaching Christ, yeah, you, you have basically a repeat of the same thing since the fall in Genesis 3. Yep, that's 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 exactly how we end up here then. The modern church takes the scriptures out of the pulpit or even overrides the scriptures in the pulpit with stories, right, with anecdotes, with uh, experience, experience over doctrine, right, the whole yeah. deal. It minimizes sin. Like you said earlier, it's all about my environment. It's all about my circumstances. It's all about my oppression. It's, a, it's about everything else but me. There's no responsibility. There's no personal accountability. And uh, here's and talk about this one because you mentioned this early, earlier, right at the very beginning. And, I, and, and this is helpful, though I don't think a lot of people understand this yet. This is huge in Marxism, and it's huge massive on how we ended up here in the modern church. It's called an over-realized eschatology. It drives the social justice movement. The social justice warriors are impassioned by an over-realized eschatology that thinks that we can fix society, and that's our role. This utopian idea that Karl Marx had, that we're going to somehow create heaven on earth, is driving social justice warriors because they have this and and interestingly and, and that's a, this is another discussion but I'm throwing it out there just to provoke people's thoughts postmillennialism which has made a comeback which blows my mind with guys like um, um, Jeff Durbin and guys like that you know who's got real issues though nobody wants to say it but you've got you've got this you've got this um, kind of it resurgence of postmillennialism in the midst of all this and this overrealized eschatology, which opens you up massively to social justice movements. Speak to that, Seymour, since you're far wiser than I am. Well, brother, I think I think you you hit it on the head. Um, it, it was very clear, though, that that Marxist agenda uh, is is to bring humanity into a place of of total peace. He's almost uh, the the Thanos of uh, the Avengers. 
Yeah, yeah that's, that's so true. That's it's, right. wow. it's by not only eliminating classes, we feel to sometimes grasp this. It's also by eliminating people. That's it. Yep. Oh, man. Um, he was not adverse to removing people by any means necessary to establish this end goal. Well, his, his children all died before him. Yeah. I said that. I said yeah, he that said that on the, uh, yeah. on the podcast. He, his children all died. And what an example of a father that he was, because you were saying that his children actually uh, probably died of, of starvation and he wasn't being a provider uh, of his children. So, yeah. You know, this man basically fundamentally ignored his family. There's there's no other way to to describe the, the just total neglect. He, as I would say, is as far as I know, the chief misogynist. Mm. that I have ever read or seen. Here's what we know, brothers, all right? Um, we know claims some other people. I'm, I'm not trying to call many names, but I think Beth Moore may have used it to talk about misogynistic pastors and preachers. You cannot prove that unless you live with that man and see him do a disservice to his wife. But true biblical men love their wives as Christ loved the church, and they're pursuing to love them, although not, not perfectly, but they're pursuing it nonetheless. They're pursuing the sanctification of their wives, loving their wives, caring for them as children. I, I've seen men, faithful men of the word of God, care for their wives and love their wives. And I've seen those examples uh, over the years. But if the realized es eschatology is, is for humanity to be at the place of equilibrium and peace, well, you have to have people living for that to happen. And if in your pursuit of, the, of, of that objective, your children die, I don't know how good that is. We've also seen in communism that did not work out. Nope. It's still not working out in China. Yep. So this sense of even when we see social justice, even the word social justice, it is an economic term. It is not. It is not judicial. It's not judicial. It's economic. Reparations. That's not judicial. That's economic. It's Marxist. It's you give me what I didn't deserve or work for, but I think you should give it to me because I do believe I deserve it because of my color and because of your whiteness, give me something. Well, you know, the, the whole agenda is to, to create a world in the future where, yes, we all have the same, we all live together in harmony, but it's to eliminate the need for the future glory. It, it is to all undermine the gospel. It is to, to dismantle humanity's expectation, right? As we think about Titus chapter 2, the grace of God has, has appeared, bringing yeah, salvation, yeah. teaching us to deny ungodliness from willing lust. Men should live godly and sober in this present age. And one of the seeds of Christianity is we're looking forward with eager expectation for the coming of our Savior. Karl Marx says we do not want that in our world. Yep. And so um, his realized exotology is to replace that with a world of equality. And as John Lennon says, imagine there's no heaven it. or hell. That's and it. We have all that we need. It's John Lennon's song, man. It's John it Lennon is, it was John a classic Marxist, right? And everybody loves that song, and they have no idea what they're singing. But we're living it out. Yeah. They have no idea we what are. they're singing, and we're watching John Lennon's theology, if if you will, his doctrine, his teaching. We're watching it flesh out through uh, through so many avenues. And here you go. Here's 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 what your world that you can't imagine, where there's no heaven or no hell. You're watching. Right. I heard somebody That's say that. It. I heard somebody say they wanted that song, and there's a push. They wanted that song to become the new national anthem. Yeah, of course they did. And I'm like, that doesn't that's make any sense. Going. Yeah. 
you know, it's 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 interesting to me as you are talking through a lot of these things, you all talking through a lot of these things. One thing that I am hearing is this is not just, you know, we already established that critical race theory intersectionality came from Marxism, uh, but it sounds like the evolutionary theory uh, and also uh, eugenics. So the eugenics part, you know, would be definitely, you know, from uh, the Jews, you know, the uh, what uh, uh, communism and in, uh, in Germany and then the Jews and then uh, Planned Parenthood. Eugenics started in in the in United States, just so that we can clarify that. Okay. But no, nobody nobody realizes that long before uh, Hitler came on the scene. Wow. Which is scary, scary to think about that. We were close then, and it was Marxists that were pushing for eugenics to ster- the sterilization, right? The sterilization of of human beings, the uh, the 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 uh, baby count, and all of that the eugenics on multiple levels that that started here in america really? but nobody wants to yeah nobody understands nobody wants to talk about that and hitler was the one that actually got it got it to where he could actually do it right so he's known for it but it never got passed it got brought up it got brought up in congress and it got voted down but that's how close we had we had gotten in our country and it was driven by this overrealized eschatology, this Marxist ideology that that was driving it, and so it's been here, underlining the system for so long, and now it's exploding. And um, and sadly, like Seymour said, oh, above all, it's infecting the church at an exponential rate, and um, it's very sad. The, so okay, so maybe you already answered this question, but maybe I need to get some more clarification. Why is it affecting the church? And I mean, obviously we're sinful people. I get that part, but you know, why is this, you know, you you talked about the social gospel, um, these Marxist ideas. Why, why is it affecting the church? I can give you a brief answer. Um, Whenever we open up the door, let, 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 sorry, sorry, you, you and Matt never give brief, brief answers. I just want to put that out there. I just want to make I sure thought, that we establish that you, first. You are, you, you are brothers. Me, I'll give you your brothers in Christ. You are brothers in, uh, uh, it's like a fraternity that y'all have that came from master's university or master's oh, seminary. Wow, that's funny. You never give brief. Answers. I just want to make sure I, I, I put, made I that will, point. Okay. No, sorry. I will give you a brief answer, buddy, with a long explanation. <laughs> That yeah, that sounds more like it. That, that yeah. okay. All right, I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think in a, I think just in a, a very fundamental level, the way I see it is that whenever we allow liberal preachers or pastors to gain ex- access to our platforms, that's Amen. usually the beginning of that process. Amen. So you look over the years, especially at the T4G, the Gospel Coalition Conference. Yep. I'm not trying to be intensely critical, but I want to just realize that their, their, their liberal approaches to some of these pastors' philosophy of, of, of social structures, hierarchy, and how to address it. And what some of them fail to realize is that what they've learned at the universities has affected them. Hmm. And they, they did not run those lessons through the grid of scripture because they experienced some of those hardships as, as men of, um, 
of uh, African-American ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Then you couple that with your experience and it almost validates it. So you almost have a gnostic type of thing. Yep. I've experienced this thing in ways that you haven't, so you can't speak on it. That's gnosticism. The ethnic, ethnic gnosticism. It's that ethnic, Ver- it is ethnic gnosticism. You, you can't speak that issue because you haven't experienced it. And plus, we have to set the definition because only we know it. Hmm. So when you when you allow preachers with liberal views to enter your pulpit and they say, well, hey, you know, I'm a five pointer. No, you have to say you can be a nine pointer, brother, but that point that you have there is divisive. So we can't give you the platform, but we can meet for lunch. We can meet for coffee. They <laughs> enter the platform, brothers. And when they whenever we bring them to the table, we have susceptible, susceptible saints, weaker saints, younger saints who, who are guilted over those things. So I think a part of the issue is that we have allowed them to have a platform with us. And, and of course, then denominations like the SBC. And because they have a platform, they have access. And they have been pushing this agenda uh, for the last few years. So this is not something over now. So that's my that's my quick answer, long explanation. That was actually shorter than I thought it was going to be. As the, <laughs> as the pulpit goes, so go the people. Mm. That's it, brother. That's it. If we don't, I mean, you told, you see Paul, Paul said, Timothy, guard. Yep. It's almost as if he's begging him. Guard what happens. Timothy, please. Yep. Please guard the deposit that's been given to you. Yeah, yeah. people are going to want to put their trash in it, but, but please guard the deposit. There's only one gospel. There's only one Christ. There's only one core, core source of the doctrine. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy guarded. He says, oh, Timothy. Yep. I mean, I can just see the pleading in his voice as he's about to depart this world. And that's oh. what's happening right now. You see, if you don't guard the doctrine, this is what happens. Yeah, I mean, look, his final words, right? His final, his swan song. Final words tend to be the most important words. And he tells them, world's going to get worse and worse. It's going to be wicked people, but stay with the scriptures. Preach Amen. the word, Timothy. Amen. Don't stop. And then he even tells them, people are going to say they want more. They want you to do something else. They want you to get involved in social justice, Timothy. Don't do it. Preach the word, right? They'll find That's preachers it. who itch, itch their ears, but... No, it's it it is amazing because of the simplicity, the simplicity of ministry by way of our commission. It really is, right? Matthew 28 is very simple and clear. It's complex and it's and it's confounding because it's it's beyond it's beyond our ability, right? It's it, without the divine blessing of the spirit of God, we're we're done. But what God has called us to do is not save the world, right? In the sense of change the save the whales change the planet, remake social structure. No, just preach the word, disciple, evangelize, shepherd. That's it. That's it. Love our Amen. wives, love our children, raise godly, raise godly children, be faithful to our governing authorities. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science. And yet the modern church has lost its way and it's breaking. I know it's breaking my heart as I'm watching it happen in our community. And it's going to leave a, uh, like um, um, in the in the second great awakening, right? Same same kind of deal. We're driven by social emotionalism, right? Driven by the yeah. needs of man, like you said, putting the needs of man. And Charles Finney, right, left a wake, a burned out wake. Called it the burned over districts, man. Especially yeah, in so true in Oberlin, you know, Ohio, and just left. It's still there today. We've got people in our in our church from from that section of New York that say it's still like that today, where it's just a vacuum 
where it's just completely devoid of sound doctrine, and it's still a mess from Finney. And uh, he did he did it then, and here we are. So can you explain that though? I, I don't I missed that part. I know who, I've heard of Charles Finney, but what do you, what do you mean about? So he he created or instigated essentially false conversions based upon emotionalism, right? So he pulled at heartstrings, and instead of preaching biblical repentance and true uh, conversion that led to holy living, it was all an emotional instigated. Uh, reality, and then what happened was, so people for, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm using this hyperbolically, but this is exactly what happened, so people would walk the aisle, right, because he mm-hmm. essentially invented the, the altar call and the kneeling bench, and so he would prey on people's emotions, just exactly what's going on in the church right now, because all kinds of pastors are preying on emotions, telling people, you're not doing enough, you're guilty, you need to get involved, you need to get in political activism, and people are, but it ain't going to last. It ain't going to go anywhere, right? It isn't going to do anything for society, and it's only going to damage them spiritually. So Charles Finney did that, and then what happened? People ran down the aisle, and two weeks later, they were they were more drunk in the in the uh, bars than they were before Charles Finney came, and that's why they called a burned over district, where where it literally after he preached and the emotions were settled down it left the whole region burned over to where there was no spiritual life in it and people were inoculated they literally were inoculated to the gospel because they'd already done it i walked out it didn't work now i'm just, i'm going back to my my drinking going back to my thieving going back to my and that was the that was the uh those were the negative results of the second great awakening and on the on the you know, unbiblical side. So, yeah, and that's what we're seeing now. So, so all of this is going to end with all of these people burned over, where it's not going to work. They're going to end up being frustrated. They're going to be more angry. They're going to be more divisive. They've rejected the truth. They've been rejected by Black Lives Matter, and it's just going to leave a wake in its in its path. And it's really sad to watch it. So, we are going to conclude here. This is the end of part two. Please join us next time for part three of this entire series. Thank you all for listening to the Truth Talks podcast. And now here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. My name is Jeffrey Clausen. I've been a member here of Bellcroft for about a year. And this is the gospel. The gospel starts out with God. God is holy, righteous, and just. And we are not. Man is sinful. We are sinful to the core. We're evil and wicked. And we break his laws every day. And therefore, since men are lawbreakers, we're lawbreakers, and God is just, he must give justice to all lawbreakers. And he will do that. He will send all lawbreakers to hell. But the good news is that God is also loving too. And we know that because he became a human being. He entered into the universe that he created and dwelt among us. He lived the perfect life. He, he obeyed, he never lied, he never lusted, he never stole, and then he willingly went on that cross, Jesus, and God the Father poured his wrath on Christ. We deserve the wrath of God, but Jesus took it on himself on that cross. He bore our sins on that cross. As it says in Isaiah 53, it was pleased the Father to crush his son. And so, because of so that he, Jesus, endured the wrath of God that we deserve 
and which now allows us to be righteous through his son. He took the penalty, and but then Christ imputes his righteousness to us, and all our sin goes on him. So that when we stand before God on Judgment Day, we're going to be seen as righteous. That is the good news. That is the amazing good news, that we can be seen as pure, righteous, before a holy and righteous God, all because of what Christ did on the cross for our sin. So that's what we rejoice in. That is the gospel. And that's the thing we will continue to proclaim for the rest of our lives. Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast. And visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.